Good morning, church. You may wonder, uh, I think I see Brother Hunter in the front row. Why are you up there? Um, if you were here last week, I uh, kind of informed you that I would do this two times. Maybe it's kind of why it's a little thin right in this area right here. I hope not. Uh, but I'm, I'm thankful that our pastor has allowed me to do this time. I, I love you, brother, for that. Uh, thank you for your leadership in my, my life and what you mean to me. And uh, this is uh, really important. Uh, for me to do it, I, I'm not called to be a pastor. I've never felt like I've been called to be a pastor. I've struggled with that, but I've always felt called to preach the gospel whenever I had the opportunity to do it. Um, I've done it numerous times, thankfully here, but not just here. Anytime I can stand before men and women and declare that Jesus is Lord and the goodness of God, I'll, I'll do that. So I'm really excited about it this morning. Uh, a little tired we got back last night. Uh, we had a really good week at Snowbird, so Jordan and Carson and Hannah and Laura and I went with the kids, and we had an amazing time. Snowbird is a really cool camp. I've heard a lot about it, but I got to witness it firsthand. It is a, a strong, gospel-centered um, church camp. Uh, I probably grew more than any of our kids did at that time because the teaching is just amazing. It's all over you, and I was telling Stoney this morning, that I think it was the last sermon we heard. We would hear a sermon in the morning. We would hear a sermon in the evening. There'd be worship, and then there would be meeting and activities and stuff during the day. One of the sermons uh, where he was really finishing the life of David is, is what the focus was. He was just declaring that Jesus is Lord, showing that Jesus came from the line of David and declaring the right that Jesus had to be Lord and how he looked back through David and how he's prophesied and all that. And he was just hitting these one-liners about who Jesus is and what he's done. And I was sitting there going, man, I, I was looking around and I, we were sitting in these metal chairs and it was a, a gravel floor. And I was just, in my mind, just was picking up these chairs, just throwing them in the wall. It was just that, that amazing, that, that much it was firing me up because it was just a week of gospel saturation. And so I'm really coming off a high. I've, I've spent a little time with Jordan this week. We've talked about this passage. I've had several weeks to, to look at it and prepare for it. But I hope, I hope I can really encourage you with the things that I see here in Exodus 18. So let me, get, let me briefly set this up for you. And uh, so if you've been here at all, you know we've been going through Exodus. Uh, we're now in Exodus 18, and, uh, you know, they, they've seen plagues. You know, if you're, if you're not really familiar with Exodus, you know, if you grew up at all near a church, you'd be somewhat familiar with Exodus because a lot of the vacation Bible school stories and that come from Exodus, you know, about M Moses and Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and so they, the, the Israelites here have been freed. We saw that last week. They were still grumbling. They were still complaining. But, you know, before being freed, they've seen plagues. They've seen God's mercy on them. They've seen God's judgment on the Egyptians. And so the Israelites faced many, many challenges. And so last week we saw God's mercy on full display, if you'll remember, when we talked about um, the staff that Moses was commanded to take the staff that he used to strike the Nile and strike the rock. And so we saw the mercy of God in that uh, when the Israelites were grumbling and, and complaining, they deserved God's justice and judgment. They should have been struck with the same staff that gave them blood, yet God says, no, I'm going to show you mercy by taking my wrath out on this rock, strike the rock. So the rock was struck and they got water. So we saw God's mercy on full display. So now we come to Exodus 18, and yet there's another challenge that we find ourselves in. But this, main, this challenge that we find ourselves in now is mainly shouldered by Moses. 
Okay? Lots of the challenges we faced, you know, the challenges were on the Israelite camp, and Moses was the guy that had to go before God and solve the problem. Well, now we're looking at the, the main challenge is looking at uh, being placed on the shoulders of Moses himself. Now, uh, that's not totally true, meaning that because Moses is shouldering this challenge, the whole Israelite camp is still affected by this. Um, you know, it's like me as a father, uh, there's challenges that I face and how I deal with them impacts my family and those around me. So that's true. And so as the leader of this, uh, this Israelite camp, any challenge that Moses had, had as a man was going to truly affect everybody as a whole. And that's just a true statement. And so when you think about this camp, remember when they were led out of slavery, it says there were 600,000 men that was led out. And so you think about it, they didn't even count women and children. This was, I would say, at least a couple million people that was going down, you know, that was set free and that is camped. And so Moses is re responsible for a, a lot of people. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus 18, um, we're going to be in a couple other places. I'm not going to ask you to turn. I'm just going to ask you to listen. I might ask you to turn when we get to Acts 6. I don't know. It just depends on how I'm feeling at the moment. But we'll be at a few places. But I really want you to hone in on just a few simple things that we're going to think about here today. So I'm not going to read. If you look at down at it, you know, if you know me when I preach, I usually read the entire text. We're not going to do that today. It's 27 verses. I want to read several key passages as we move along through the text. But um, getting, getting going, I'm just going to give you a, a synopsis of what you'll find if you were to read verses 1 through 13, okay? So, um, so this chapter starts off with Jethro, okay? Jethro was mentioned earlier. Uh, Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses, and, it's, and the Bible calls him here, he was a priest of Midian. So... So it starts out by saying that Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, has been hearing about all these things. He's got word that the Israelites are free and all the things that God is doing and has done for the Israelites. And it also tells us that Moses here chooses to send his wife Zipporah and the two sons back to Jethro. So they're... For some reason, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically why. We're only left to speculate. But it says that Moses sent the two sons and his wife, Sipporah, back to her father, his father-in-law. And so that's where we're at. Uh, I'll speculate maybe a minute with you on that idea. Hold that thought, okay? So we're also told that after receiving, Jethro receives um, Zipporah, his daughter, and his two grandsons. Um, that they all decided then after that they're going to go back to Moses and they're going to meet Moses where he's camped at the base of the mountain. Okay, so didn't really tell us why. Doesn't tell us why they went there in the first place. We're going to find out a little bit why they decided to go. And that's really the, the crux of this whole chapter. Uh, but pause for a minute. Pause for a minute, okay? So this is just my mind. I'm wondering what was Moses thinking? Like when he heard word that, you know, he'd sent his wife Zipporah, two sons back to her father, his father-in-law Jethro. And then he gets word that they're going to return. They're coming back. Um, you know, I, <laughs> if I sent my wife and, and my kids to my father-in-law and then I heard now they're coming back. Hey, they're coming back. I'd be like, uh, and he's coming with them. I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, Moses, he's a busy guy. What's going to happen when they get here? That's just my mind. The story doesn't mention any of that. I'm just sitting there left to wonder like, huh, I wonder what he's thinking. He sends them off and now he's getting back. So um, anyway, 
It says that when he arrived, that Moses met him and greeted him with a kiss. This is all found in the first 13 verses there. Um, So, greeted him with a kiss. So it seems like there's a good relationship there. You know, he was honoring of his father-in-law, received him with a kiss. He took him in. Seemed like he was glad to be there. There wasn't any friction there. Didn't seem like there was any bad relationship. You know, it seems like if you read uh, this passage that uh, his father-in-law was a a, a God-fearing man. Uh, We'll read that, and I'll I'll show you that in a minute by some of the things he says. Um, so, So verse 10 says this. Uh, when they were discussing the things that Jethro uh, praised God for, everything he has done for the Israelites, praise God for that. What a, well, I'll just say this. What, what a blessing it is to, uh, to have an in-law, father-in-law, mother-in-law, any of your family that would praise God, that, that would come to you and say, hey, look, praise God. I've heard what God's done in your life. Praise God for that. I'm, and in a sense, he's coming there partly to worship with him. So... Um, so after this brief setup of the first 12 verses, let's look down now. Let's start, let's pick up at verse 13 and let's read a little bit of what's going on here. June. So June, when I got up here, June says, Dad, do like Pastor Hunter and tell me to highlight some stuff. I like highlighting stuff. So I said, just highlight what I'm going to read. So now June, start highlighting. And I'm going to read verse 13. Here we go. It says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? Now pause for a minute. What do we see Moses doing here? Okay, We see him serving as judge... For these people, remember, this means he is presiding as the sole judge by what? At least a couple million people. That's a pretty large task. Imagine the time, energy, and effort that this must uh, take out of Moses. I mean, it's a big task. And remember back when I said, I don't want to speculate, when I said that we aren't told why Moses sent his sons and his wife away to Jethro. Here's a thought, don't know. Could it be that he had no time for them? I don't know. It's possible. We're not told. It's possible. So we don't know, but for someone presiding as a judge for this many people, I wonder how he even had the time to sleep. So he's a busy man. Very busy man. The Bible doesn't tell us that. This is just for me. I can be completely wrong. I'm speculating here, but it's possible. You see that? Also, Jethro says this. He says, what is this you are doing? And why are you doing it all by yourself? And it says he does this from when? Morning to evening. This is constant. Presiding as judge over a few million people from morning to evening. And Jethro watches him. He says, what is this that you're doing? And why are you doing it by yourself? That's the main uh, point here, uh, the main focus here of this text. Look at what Moses says in verse 15. Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and then I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Pause again. Pause again. 
Moses is saying, when he asks him, why are you doing this? He's essentially saying, because it's my job. It's my job. Was he right? Yes, he was right. It was. It was his calling. It was his job. Sure he was. But here's the question. Was it the best way? Was it the best way? That's the question. So he says it's completely up to him for the people to instruct these people, to instruct these people of the will of God. Again, he wasn't wrong, but we will see that there is some concern with this approach, okay? Let's keep reading. Pick up at verse 17. It says, Moses' father-in-law replied, what, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. That's important. It's an important statement right there. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Verse 20, teach them His decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. This will make your load lighter because it will, they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands... You will be able to stand the strain, and all of these people will go home satisfied. Sounds like a plan to me, right? I mean, do you see the wisdom that I see in this? I mean, it seems common sense. I mean, two million people, one guy, I mean, how is this going to happen? How is this going to work? So Jethro is saying here, he's saying, hey, son, this ain't good. This is not good. One man cannot carry the weight, cannot bear the weight, and you are not going to last long doing this. It's not going to happen. You're just a man. So this week, as I mentioned, we went to camp. We had breakout sessions. So the kids would, we'd had praise and worship together. And then, like it was 10.50 every day, we'd have a little break. We'd play like cornhole and basketball and all that stuff. And then at 10.50 every day, the leaders would go and be poured into by the men of the camp. And then they would have one of the men addressing the children. And so it was a really huge time for us. I mean, we had, we had some awesome things to think about, and um, it was really, really helpful. But one of the leaders said similar things this week. Um, they reminded us that we all must have time alone, okay? And not just time alone with God as leaders or pastors or whatever, but, but um, time away, time away and it was good um it was good advice it was good wisdom and what they were telling us is essentially what Jethro was telling them look you're just a you're just a finite person you're just a man there's a limit to your energy there's a limit to your time there's a limit to what 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 you can offer and so we all need to remind ourselves with Moses that we are limited. There's only so much that we can do. So we have our limits. And for the sake of all people, here's the thing to remember. We have our limits. And for the sake of all people, all leaders must remember this. For the sake of all people is important. Okay? Because what happens? 
Leaders get tired. Leaders get burnt out. Who, who, to whose detriment? To them and who, those they lead, right? For sure. So Moses needed this wise advice. Not only that, the people needed him to hear this. They also desperately needed him to hear this. But notice that Jethro didn't presume that his counsel only, like his as a man, I'm your father. He's not, he didn't come to him and say, listen to me because I'm your father-in-law. He didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. Uh, verse 19, look at verse 19. After giving them the advice, he says, And may God be with you. Also, verse 23 says, If you take my advice and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain of this. Okay, So he's basically saying, This seems right to me, but we both fear God. We both trust God. We both realize that we are not God. Run it by Him first. So he's essentially saying, pray about it. He didn't say it, but he's essentially, consider God. Pray about this. Make sure God's okay with this. I'm not coming on you saying, I'm your father-in-law. This is good. And this is good wisdom from Jethro. Jethro seems like a, a wise man. And, and oftentimes I know that we, uh, as leaders, we get approached with situations and we're asked our uh, advice or our, our thoughts. And a lot of times we can maybe point to certain scriptures um, but at the end, and give good advice, but at the end of the day, we're not the Holy Spirit of God. We're not the Holy Spirit of God. The, the, the Bible may provide framework, so, so some, some good, solid, biblical framework, but you know, every decision that we have to make, is you know, we can't just open a book, chapter, and verse and say, here's what I have to do, right? So Jethro here seems like a wise man of God that says, look, this seems wise to me. It seems that it's going to really help you and your people, but run it by God first. Pray, pray to God first. Here's a question. Go ahead and turn to Acts 6. It's better. Just turn to Acts 6. I decided we need to do that. Here's another question. We're going to, get, we're going to come back to Moses in a minute. The question is this. Where else do we see this in the Bible? Where else do we see this in the Bible? Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Let's skip down to seven. 7 says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wow. You see that? The burden was heavy for a few. The church was growing. What did they do? They divided, they conquered, and it said the word of God spread rapidly after that. You see the wisdom? Isn't that what we see here in, Mo in Moses' time? 
So here we're reading in Acts, it's the early stages of the church, exact same concept. One man or even a few people, one man or a few people cannot be completely effective in ministering, leading, teaching, and equipping God's people. But as the church grew, they shared responsibility, and you see it was so needed. The kingdom of God flourished on the earth. You see that? Same wisdom. Also, don't turn here. This is what Chris read earlier from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just going to read verses 11 through 13. The same thought in mind. Same thought in mind. It says this, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God is God. God does not change. God's people are just that. People with limitations. Okay? So the Israelites needed more leaders and people to share in the load of ministering, and the church is no different. Do you see that? No different. The same, the same wisdom that Jethro gave to Moses, which we'll finish out reading, which God did bless, is the, is the same wisdom that we see in the early church. The same wisdom that we must continue in and think about today. So, the church isn't built by a few, by, but by many. Many people who use their God-given abilities... Uh, their talents to advance the kingdom of God on earth. The church is not built upon one or two people. It's built upon many. That's important. So as Jordan and I mentioned, we had some good times together. We were At, at night, there was a, a little room where the pastors and leaders could meet up there. And you could work out if you wanted to. Jordan Carson did. Uh, I let them work out for me. I didn't do any while we were there. But a lot of times some, of the, some men would congregate there in the evening. And so Jordan would go there and he would study uh, you know, what he was preparing for his, his boys. And we talked about that. We talked about Exodus 18. And we had a young pastor that came in. He was from southern Mississippi. And you know, we were talking and I, I mentioned that we were going to be covering Exodus 18. He said, oh, really, my pastor covered that recently. And uh, he said, you know, one, one of the points my pastor used was this. I'm quoting him. He says, one of his, his points was, people are better than pastors. Now, hang on a minute. That's, that sounds strange when I say that, okay? Hopefully, you know what I mean by that and where we've just come, okay? So, um, you know, I'm saying that God's building His church. And it will always flourish and grow more effectively when there's many working for the Lord rather than simply one man or pastor or a few team of leaders, right? It just makes sense. The more that a church is unified in the gospel, the more that we're, we're on board with determining what it is, our gifts and discipleship, the more that we're all engaged in that same mission together, it just makes sense that it's going to flourish, right? Makes sense. So he says, people are better than pastors. And in that context, isn't that true? Isn't that we, what we see here in what Jethro is, is telling Moses? Isn't that what we need here today? So I'm thankful again that our pastor is, is here today. And I, what I want to do right now is publicly honor him. 
I mean, I want to thank him because he, he labors. You guys have with no idea the amount of energy, thought, and labor that he per, puts into uh, pastoring this church. It's not a 45-minute job a week. <laughs> not even close. You guys have no idea. And, I, and uh, you know, the things that I see him do, it not only encourages me, but a lot of times it amazes me at the labor he really puts into this, into this body. And he's not going to stop that. He's not. I can promise you that. If you've been here for any length of time, you, you know this to be true. But at the end of the day, one man can only do the work of one man. That's just true. That's just true. And we all need to recognize this. And so the way he's able to equip people and minister to people and to get Chris Hunley to come read a scripture, how did that happen? I have absolutely no idea. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> you know, but this work of the ministry cannot fall squarely on the shoulders of him. No, it cannot. It should not. So we know that the effectiveness of this body as it relates to making disciples cannot fall on Him. And it's not just here. It's everywhere. Not just here. Any body of believers in any town, in any place on the face of the earth, and this is why the Apostle Paul places so much emphasis on the body being made up of many parts. He places so much emphasis. He's saying, look, there's, it's made up of many parts for a reason because you need all of them. It can't be placed on the shoulders of one man. It won't work. You will be frustrated. You will be weakened. He will be frustrated. He will be weakened. He can't last, and it will help us none. It doesn't work that way. It shouldn't work that way. It's unbiblical. I've shown you the biblical approach. It would be unbiblical for us to attempt to work it that way. So as a church, we cannot allow there to be too much emphasis placed on the leadership of one man or a few. We don't want... Here, here's why. Here's why. We do not want people to have a heavy dependence on man. We want people to have a heavy dependence on God. You see that? And so to, we were called... The scripture I read to you earlier is our task, His task is to produce mature believers. Not people dependent upon man for things, but people who are dependent on God. Mature believers have grown to become dependent on God. So we're to encourage, we're to lead, we're to shepherd, but we're to tell you that we are not the thing to worship, we are not the thing to be dependent on, but God is. So let us close out the reading of today's text, not closing the sermon, just the reading of the, today's text. Go back to 24. We'll read 24 to 27 so that we've read it and we've closed it out. I want, to see, I want you to see how it ended. It says this, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from Israel and made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Exactly what he told them. They served as judges for the people. At all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So it closed out peacefully, right? Awesome. You have a wise man, a guy that loved his son-in-law. 
He came in the midst of heavy burden. He's presiding as judge over many people. He says, seek God. I think this is wise, but do it. He did it. Look what happens. We see the, this same pattern again as I read you in the early church. New Testament pattern that we are to divide and conquer. So as we close here, I want to I I close with making a charge for you. And the charge is nothing new. The charge actually was given by Jesus to His disciples in Matthew 28. It's a charge that we all know. It's a charge that we call the Great Commission. And it says this. It says, Go and make disciples to all nations. Okay? It's an easy thing to say. It's an easy thing to read it. Go and make disciples. And well, how do we do that? We talked a little bit about that at camp too with this guy. They were like trying to flesh out what did that mean to make disciples. Well, he tells us, going to make disciples, here's how you do it. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you teach them to obey that all he commanded. And then Jesus ends with a promise, I will be with you until the end of the age. So number one, he's saying if you share the gospel, you baptize them and teach them to obey, I promise you it's going to be fruitful because I'm telling you it's going to work because it's going to be me that's going to be working through, uh, through you and I will be with you to the end of the age. It will be fruitful. Trust me. The problem we see is no one actually believes Jesus and how do, you, how do I know? Because I've been born in the South around Christians, and how many times have people approached me to try to share the gospel with me? Very few. A few years ago, I thought, I would, I would, it'd be an interesting project to go and take blank pieces of paper and let everybody in congregations across the South and say, and if I said, okay, I want you to write down what is the gospel, just take off writing and read it, what would you think that they would write? Christian churches, what do you think would be on that piece of paper? Paul says the gospel is the power into salvation. If we don't know the gospel, then we have no power. No one's saved if you don't know the gospel. Right? So the church's marching orders were given. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded, says Jesus. Says we sit here today, we can obey Jesus. Because that's what he told us. We can do this. We can obey Jesus or we can show up to church services and be consumers. We have a choice. We can be obedient producers or disobedient consumers. That's why I don't even like, and a lot of you know this, I don't even like to call it a church service. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not rebuking you if you say it. But what I mean by I don't like the word service is because it, it breeds consumers. Just the idea of the word. It breeds consumers. Like, you're going to come in here and be served by these people on this stage. They're going to sing some songs and they're going to tell you to open your Bible and you're just going to consume it and you're going to leave and you're going to go about your day. That's not participating in the Great Commission. That's not dividing and conquering for the glory of God and for the building up of His kingdom and His church on the earth. That's being a consumer... Passive, disobedient consumer. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not. And you know it. Here's a question. If you're not obeying this command, why? If you say, I believe Jesus is Lord. I realize I was a sinner. I was saved by grace. He's given me water uh, 
from the well, the living water without cost, we read in Revelation. But oh, that's cool. It's going to come and I'm just going to consume this weekly and I'm going to move about my time. But Jesus stands before us and says, go and make disciples. All of you. He didn't say pastors. He didn't say when you're ready, when you feel like it, hey, when you feel up to it, go make disciples. No, he says, go. I will be with you to the end of the age. Will it make you uncomfortable? Yes. Yes. But we're not called to be comfortable. We're called to make disciples. You say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, you got to start somewhere. That's where discipleship happens. Just go with what you know. Just take the truth, anything that you know to be true, and start there. Work in the context of the local body. There's disciple making and there's disciple... Uh, you're, you're, you're making disciples and you're being made disciples. It's, it's that both... That, that two chain two chains. You got people here that are Pauls and Timothys. I, I want to be a Timothy to a Paul and I want to be a Paul to, to a Timothy. It's disciple making. If this is you, allow me to point this out. If you're a consumer, think about it. I know this is going to be tough. But this is exactly true. Tell me I'm wrong. Out loud. Stand up. Hmm. You think I'm kidding. (laughs) If you're a consumer, you're a passive, disobedient consumer, what you're saying is, I depend more on sinful man than a holy God. I'm going to come hear these men. I'm going to consume what they tell me, what they do for me, and I'm going to go about my time. But Jesus says, God the Son says, make disciples. Divide and conquer. And yet we say, that sounds good. We'll print it out and put it on a banner out front. How about that, Jesus? We'll say that we're fishers of men and we can't explain the gospel to anyone. For pastors and leaders of a congregation of consumers, and I'll say this, I've been in many churches. I know I'm being hard right now. (laughs) My wife's face is telling me I am. Uh, I love you guys. I see see the gospel-centeredness here. I see a disciple-making going on. But when we get to certain texts like this, we cannot allow ourselves to move on, we must at least ask ourselves the question because we can always do better. We can always refocus on Jesus. We can always go back to the basics, which is the Great Commission. We can always remind ourselves that we need to trust God instead of sinful men. We can always remind ourselves that when we decide to become a member here, that we are in covenant together, that we are bringing our gifts, our talents to benefit this body. We're not allowing to, I'm not going to come and be a consumer putting more burden on a man. But I'm going to come bring my gifts to, uh, to increase the effectiveness and the fruitfulness of this body together. No matter how uncomfortable it is. Jesus didn't call us to be comfortable. Here's good news though, as I start to wrap up. Here's good news. Where leaders have limitations... Jesus does not. You hear that? When leaders, pastors, get tired, Jesus 
does not. When pastors aren't perfect, which none of them are, nor am I, Jesus is. While pastors cannot save you, Jesus can. Let us not grow weary because Jesus said this, My burden is easy and my yoke is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's correct order. So let us today consider our calling for the kingdom of God. Are you a disciple maker? Do you share the gospel with others? Let's think about as we close here. We say our mission is, is these three things. Identity, community, and missions. So what we're saying here is we're rooted in Jesus. We're gospel-centered. Everything that we do flows from the freedom of grace that He has lavished upon us from Ephesians 2. That's our identity. Um, if, if, we, if we were to point at anything else and say we're that, then we're missing the boat. It's all about Jesus. That is our identity. Then there's community. Inside of our community, we're saying that it is important. Our meetings are important. Our disciple-making is important. Do you know that most of the commands from the epistles, you cannot obey outside of the context of meeting together within the local body? It's just one, love each other. How are you going to love each other if you're not here? If you avoid each other, just right? How can you obey a command if you're not even here? You choose to not be a part. That's just one. There's many of them. You know, all the disputes they were having in the church of Corinthians, and it was a nasty church, they were having these disputes, and we will because they're sinful people. They were having the disputes because they were living life together. You won't have any disputes if we don't show up. We show up for an hour and leave. There's not a lot of opportunity for that. But the New Testament seems like God desires more of us. That's why we say community is important. When we think of community, I'm not talking about Huntington. I, I will in a minute. I'll get to that. But, and it is part of it. But community is growing together, living together, living in our faith together. That's why things like small group is really important. And you go, oh, it's just small group. No, it's not. It's opportunities to grow, to learn, to love, to serve, to witness, to disciple. So if you're not doing it there, where are you doing it? It's just not happening. Don't, it's just not. It's important. Let, I'm encouraging you to see this. I'm hoping you see that. I'm encouraging you to see it. It's important. I'm shedding light on that. Missions. Identity, community, and missions. Community is important. It's easy to not to come. It's easy not to be present. But it's, in, it's important. We must do life together. We must be around each other. Community is important. Lastly is missions. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. What better way to impact the world for Jesus than all of us becoming and growing mature in Christ, being able to share the gospel with people, all of us, then when we leave this place every week, we go out into the world. Here's what I see a lot. I see churches that um, their, their pastors will get up. They'll know the gospel. They'll know the Bible. But they won't teach anyone else. They say, look, just go. We're going to have high attendance Sundays. Just get out. Look, I got it. 
You just get them here. However you can, just get them here. I got it. Instead of teaching them the gospel, them to share the gospel with their neighbors and their friends, they say, no, 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 no. I'm good at this. I'll do it. You just get them here. We'll get some donuts and whatever. Whatever we got to do. Anybody got an idea how we can fill this place up so I can share the gospel? Because you can't do it. No. That's not how this works. Disciple making, if we shepherd you to become more mature in Christ, so you're making disciples and you're sharing the gospel to people outside these walls. That's the call. So missions is in the context of understanding and sharing the gospel and and reminding ourselves our identity is in Jesus Christ. In the context of a gospel church where we're constantly saying it, we're constantly sharing it, It's the true gospel. It's not the American gospel. It's the true gospel that we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not of us. It's only work that Christ can do. That Christ lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And so his death actually counted as a substitute because he was perfect. And then God's seal of approval was on him when he rose him from the dead saying, That's my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the gospel. And the the call is to repent and to trust in Jesus. Imagine if in the context of our meetings, that we all understood that identity, clear as day. And we're saying our community, our time together is important because in this this opportunity, we have opportunity to make disciples, not passing in halls. And I hope tonight, as we meet for small group, I hope you talk about this. How can we individually be better at making disciples? That's a really important Good conversation that I encourage you to have tonight. So identity, community, and missions. Let's circle this all the way back around. Started with Moses. Moses had a heavy burden. It wasn't good what he was doing. We see this same pattern in the New Testament. Is God honoring to divide and conquer? The Great Commission is for everyone. All of you. And I want to encourage you today... To do not, do not be disobedient consumers, but be obedient disciple makers, all of us. Utilize us, utilize our pastor, utilize our time, utilize everything we have to grow in that. Because the charge is on you and me. You don't get a free pass from that. Let our meetings be fruitful so that you can become mature in Jesus, because that's what our job here is to do. Produce mature believers. Praise team, come on up. We're going to close in song. Believers, this is our calling. So what I'm saying is, and this is my words, wrapped it up in these, this one little sentence. I'm telling you this. Obey Jesus for the betterment of us all. Does that make sense to you? Each and every one of us being obedient producers, being disciple makers, who does that benefit? All of us. Every single one of us. It takes the burden off of shoulders. And it helps sharing the load. We're, we're gospel makers, uh, disciple makers. We're gospel tellers. And what does God say about the gospel? It is the power of God to salvation. Lastly, if you're, you're an unbeliever here... There's zero percent of what I said before now that was aimed at you. None of it. None of it.
You're not called to make disciples. You're not called to obey God. Except this. Repent and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. You're not called to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're sitting there under the wrath of God, outside of the grace of God, you're not commanded to obey God in His Word. The, only, the first command you must obey is this. Repent of your sins and trust alone in Jesus. When you do that, and He washes you, He makes you new, He gives you a new heart, He gives you a new birth, He, he justifies you before Himself, now these commands, they're all for you. But up until that point, none of them are for you. Because we're not a works-based religion. We can't obey God. We can't obey our way to God. Right? God makes us free through the gospel. And then He says, therefore now obey. So today in the context of it is what we're doing in Exodus 18, I want to charge you with this. Be a disciple maker. Be a lover of God's church. Be a sharer in the load as we, make king, as we spread the kingdom of God on earth.